Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, 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 and how are you? I'm really fucking tired. I think I'm nearly dead. I, uh, I've had a busy week. <laughs> we went to the Glamour Women of the Year Awards last night. I hosted it for the third year in a row. It was so exciting, and it's actually one of my very favorite nights of the whole year. I love Deborah Joseph, Emily Maddock, and the whole Glamour team. There's a wonderful young woman called Hannah Berry George who writes the scripts with me and... I met her early, early days in comedy, and it's nice to link up with her again. It's a really cool, strong team of women. And Glamour Magazine, if you don't read the physical magazine or read it online, I am sure they are so prolific on Instagram. I'm sure you've seen headlines and articles and even nail inspo. One of the my favorite things that they do is amazing nail inspo. I've screen grabbed so many of those and then not done them because my nails look like shit because Fred and Fenna instinctively absolutely hate the nail shop probably because it smells like they shouldn't be there I don't know what that chemical is don't bring your babies to the nail shop I mean I've been guilty of it more than once and that's why I just don't get them done anymore I wore some two dollar press on nails those were hot and um you've probably noticed that glamour are a very young progressively driven very woke very political magazine now. So navigating the monologue was a little bit difficult this week. As you know, I mean, my God, we are just, if it's not one horrific news story about people all over the world just trying to keep their children safe, then it is another. If it's not one war, it's another. And a lot of the acceptance speeches touched on that in very earnest and meaningful ways. And then as host, I was supposed to glue it all together and keep the awards moving forward, keep it light, keep it funny if I could. I mean, it was it was very difficult to do this week, but altogether, working hard, we got there. I mentioned some of the difficult things that women have been through this year, uh, and there's so many to name, like Kim stole Courtney's wedding country for a start. Uh, Jada revealed that Will Smith has been available for us to bang this entire time. And thanks to Taylor Swift, we've had the burden of learning about American football. So times are tough for women, but we move forward. I was very lucky to have a bespoke dress made by a beautiful designer. They have a a little shop right behind Harrods, if you are ever in South London. It's called Ginnell, G-Y-U-N-E-L. I bailed on the fitting. 
I was supposed to go down there and get my measurements taken because I just keep losing weight to the point that now I'm actually worried. Um, your body is, of course, a vessel for you to navigate your time on this earth. And I value what my body is able to do. I've had three beautiful kids. I have autoimmune diseases, so I talk about that a lot. And I'm really lucky just to be safe and happy and healthy and well and be able to use my body to like walk around and wake up and look after my kids. But I've also spoken about not really enjoying being fat when I was pregnant with Fred and thereafter. It's not that I found it difficult to lose weight. I wasn't really trying. I wasn't working out, but it was just different. Like I'm just not really naturally supposed to be that size. And I have some very different shaped friends, fuller figured women who were very beautiful and comfortable in their own skin. I was fine with it largely, but it just was unnatural for me. So I got pregnant with Fenna when Fred was nine months old. Fenna is now 10 months old. I have not gotten pregnant again. And so naturally, I mean, I'm breastfeeding. I just started losing a bunch of weight. I'm not pregnant anymore. My body went, oh, okay, you're not on steroids anymore. You're not pregnant anymore. And I got thinner, but it's kind of been quite fast. And it's not stopped. Like I was, I think, 175 pounds at one point with Fred. I don't know how many stones that is, one boulder. And then it, I started to lose it. And then after Fenna was born, I was kind of around 150, 140 pounds. And then I was 130 pounds. And now it's going into the 120s, which I haven't really been since college. And maybe when Violet was young, I was too poor to own a scale or care. But what's happening is like I'm melting away like my ass. I used to have such a great butt and that's gone. And that's fine. But I mean... It's like your body changes. It goes through seasons and everything else. But I have broached the subject of a BBL with Bobby where you go to Turkey. You don't have to go to Turkey. It's not that I can't afford surgery in this country or I feel like I'm rolling the dice. I just don't know if British doctors know what a butt is because I don't see a lot of nice British bums. No offense. You ladies shine in the leg department. Um, if you are ethnically Celtic like me, if you're from Ireland or England, um, ethnically, then I just don't see you having an ass that I aspire to. No offense. The legs, love it. I don't have your legs. I just have like thick wagon pulling Irish legs. And I used to though have this ass. And so I think Turkish doctors understand the ass for some reason. I wanted to go and Bobby firmly put his foot down and was like, no, you're too smart to risk your life for something so stupid. So I'm no longer going, <laughs> but and he's like, you could just do a bunch of squats. I was like, how fucking dare you? I'm not doing that. And by the way, I'm holding a kid on each hip all the time and squatting to pick up all the stuff that they throw on the ground. I'm not bending forward or else I would drop the kids. I am bending my knees, squatting, and using, I think, the correct muscles to thrust myself back into a standing position after that. And uh, it's not really having an effect. At my age, it's really tough to squat yourself a nice ass. If you're a personal trainer... You better not reach out to me. The last thing I want is to work out with you. I'm not interested in exercise. No, I go for walks a lot of the time and I pick up a lot of shit off the floor and I clean my house and that's all the exercise I want to do. I have a former athlete living in my house, sleeping in my bed that I don't even sleep in. I have a home gym. I don't need your help. I can motivate you, Catherine. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm sure that you're a very talented kinesiologist. Oh, but Catherine, I'm also into nutrition. Definitely not interested in any of that. I know what food is good for me. Does it stop me eating Bailey's chocolates? No, it doesn't. Does it stop me drinking wine? No, it doesn't. 
I was eating a bunch of deli meat, turkey, uh, out of the fridge like a wolf. I wrapped it around some cheese, mustard, gherkin in the middle. Delicious. Is deli meat good for you? Does it have a lot of synthetic animal protein in it? No, and then yes. So listen, my body's changing is what I'm trying to say. So I was supposed to go to this fitting for Ganel because my measurements cannot be relied upon to stay accurate week on week. And they're such a beautiful, beautiful team of seamstresses. Shout out Tiana, Johnny. They do such a good job. And Glamour was writing a feature on this dress. If you haven't seen the dress, I mean, you could Google Catherine Ryan Glamour Awards. You could look up my Instagram or Glamour UK Instagram. It was a beautiful work of art. And there are loads of ways to express yourself artistically, music, dance, spoken word, comedy, theater, fashion, hair, whatever, beauty, whatever you want. And I wanted to do the designer justice and have this fitted properly, but I couldn't get there because the kids have been so sick. If you can't tell by my voice, no, I'm not hungover from the awards. I barely even drink anymore because drinking doesn't excite me. It doesn't energize me. It just makes me tired. I had a coffee before hosting the awards last night, but no one is sleeping. Fred sleeps with Bobby and he's been up night after night. When kids are young, they don't really understand how to blow their nose. They get pissed off. They can't tell you they have a sore throat or a sore ear. Fred's has really moved into his chest. I really think post-COVID, the other germs that we didn't pass around while we were in lockdown have, I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I feel like they've just really emboldened themselves. And now when we get sick, we get sicker. Fenna caught this from Fred. Fenna's sick. And uh, she's also teething. And she just wants to be held all night long. And God bless her. I just didn't want to go to a fitting in South London with Fenna Unwell. So the designers came to me and both kids yelled and screamed for the entire 20 minute fitting because, you know, it was dinner time. Bedtime, bath time is wild in our house, but we got it done. The dress looked beautiful last night and Bobby and I had a little night out. I think it's funny that adults who know me and have known me for years and know my current situation with the babies and the way that I parent unsustainably will ask me questions like, it's not even a question. We'll make statements like, see you at the after party. The what? It's tomorrow already. Like the awards didn't wrap until one minute after 12. And they would have wrapped a lot later if I hadn't bust a rhymes my way through the monologue. I was like, hello, we're here tonight for the 17th annual Glamour Women of the Year Awards. If this awards was a woman, the dark corners of the internet would be starting to count down until her 18th birthday. On Emma Watson's age. Like I just, I felt like an auctioneer. Because I know that the winners are going to give like beautifully crafted, very earnest speeches. And I didn't want my little funny bits to get in the way of that. So I went fast. I went fast. Some people tried to clap. I said, no clapping during my speech. I was like, a lot of people in this room are parents. It's 10 p.m. Let's get the awards on the way. And I was on stage for two hours and I loved it. What a fantastic night. But, you know, I'm like a pumpkin. My tits are basically like Cinderella's pumpkins. Filling with milk as the night goes on. I was off that stage 1201 on the nose into my car. What I thought was really funny. Oh, my gosh. Before I say that, I got to meet Lena Dunham last night. Lena Dunham, multi-award winning, multi-hyphenate talent, producer, director, writer, actress. Lena Dunham, who's been just a hero of mine for a number of years. I watched Girls on HBO. I don't even know when that came out. Was I 25 when that came out? I think she 
was in her early 20s, so I must have, I guess, been in my mid to late 20s. I just loved it so much. Girls on HBO was like Sex in the City for younger people at a more modern, more feminist time. And if you haven't seen it, you can watch it. You can find it on Now TV. If you're in the UK, that's how we get HBO. And it's evergreen. It's just always so good. And it was transformative in my life. Empowering, entertaining. It was funny. It was the first time that I'd seen something that was like a comedy drama and loved it. Something that made me cry and made me laugh and like held my attention. I was captivated by girls. And I look forward to the day that I can set aside time to watch it again. Maybe when Violet is like 18, she will watch it with me. I mean, I don't know. There are a lot of sex scenes in it. I've seen a lot more nudity in that show than I was ever prepared for. Actually, Girls on HBO and Lena Dunham is the reason why I thought I could execute a sex scene in The Duchess that I wrote on Netflix. And I failed at that miserably. I saw Lena Dunham do it. I went, that's cool. That's brave. It's really like, you know, powerful to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not a model, but I'll do the sex scene. Uh Uh-uh. Only very well-trained actors can do that without throwing up. And that really separates the comedians from the actors. I could not do a sex scene. And I never would have thought I could in a comedy had it not been for Lena Dunham. So that was my only beef with Lena Dunham. She gave me a false sense of confidence about myself. But um, I love her so much. And I got to meet her. And she knows me. And I know her. And now we're going to text. And she might move near my neighborhood. I think we're going to be best friends. Actually, I think what we should do is a house swap. Because she lives more centrally to me. Maybe we should just do a whole family swap. I will live Lena Dunham's life, Lena Dunham's life in central London, and she will come and spend many sleepless nights holding my children in the countryside of North London, and we can see how that goes, and then we'll meet in the middle, like the parent trap, you know? We'll just do a little switcheroo temporarily. Um, I changed into a tracksuit because I got there early to do glam and to do a rehearsal, so I came in this very, very warm, enormous tracksuit and a vest for some reason like a puff of vest just because when I was on my way out the door I was wet from my shower like soaking wet uh, I'd wrapped my hair in a towel I put on this really really warm it's one of those tracksuits it's by a company called Sundar Bay S-U-N-D-A-R-B-A-Y I'm reading it now because I'm still wearing it I saw a girl on the train years ago two years ago wearing this tracksuit and she looked so cool she had it with clean white trainers it was like a real big, heavy, hip-hop-looking tracksuit. And I went, that's really beautiful. Where'd you get it? She told me I bought it immediately. I bought it in a size too big. So it's thick and warm, almost the kind of tracksuit that you can't even wear because it's too warm. You need to wear it, you know, outside. It's almost like outerwear. But I wore that to the awards, and I didn't think it was going to be warm enough. So I put my daughter's puff of vest over it and Ugg boots And then on the way out of the awards, this beautiful Ganel dress had been made for me, but I mean, not to keep. And so I very carefully took that off, gave it to Jennifer Mahalski, my stylist that you should be following on Instagram if you can spell it. She's tagged in so many of my red carpet pics and other pics. And I gave it to her and I put back my tracksuit. And then I left. And what I didn't realize when I left is first I bumped into Lena Dunham, who said, oh my God, where'd you get that tracksuit? And I said, hey. This is who I truly am. You got to come to award shows with a tracksuit. And then I went out into the road where there were a bunch of paps. And they took photos of the very beautiful Lottie Moss in her gown and the very stunning Emily Atak 
in her, I think it's Vivian Westwood gown she wore last night. And then me in my fucking tracksuit and Uggs looking like I'm doing the carpool. Like, hi, girls. I'm like the mom who's strolled up in the minivan to collect the gals after a night out. If you girls are going to drink, I'd really rather you do it in the house. And it just, like, one of these things is not like the other. Catherine, there are paparazzi around the awards. But, I mean, obviously, I don't give a shit. I looked happy. I mean, I was beaming in that tracksuit. And Bobby was looking very chic, very debonair in his suit suit from the awards. And I really just looked like the soccer mom who's come to collect everyone, give them a snack pack and a Sunny D to drink. Come on, kids, get around. That was me. That was my glamorous Tuesday night. Last week, immediately after publishing the podcast, I had the honor of being my good friend, Joe Lysitz, plus one, to the Attitude Awards. Attitude Magazine is an LGBTQAI plus magazine celebrating queer culture and honoring, I mean, icons of that culture from music to like activism. Joe Lysitz was winning the Comedy Award for all of his political stunts, namely the one involving David Beckham and Qatar, where he allegedly, I mean, shredded money. We thought he shredded money, but then he didn't shred money. You look it up. Google Joe Lysett, David Beckham. But I mean, I think the Venn diagram of people who love me and love Joe overlap is at least 100% in terms of his favor. I'm sure he has fans who don't like me, but all of my fans love him. And I was also very lucky to purchase one of his paintings last week. Um, he's just so talented in many ways. And he showed me what he might be wearing. He didn't end up wearing it, but it was a really camp pink look. And I thought, do you know what? I'm just a plus one to this awards. I don't have my glam team. I'm just going to put on a very androgynous suit and loafers with no makeup apart from I saw Harry Styles on a red carpet with just a little smudge of like an orange eyeshadow, kind of a gold copper eyeshadow. And so I did that. No mascara, a little bit of base. I tried to do my hair sort of in a boy style. I mean, I don't know that I pulled it off very well. But it took me 10 minutes to get ready, and I loved it. And I was so comfortable all night in that suit. And I haven't really done an androgynous suit look before. You can put on a suit and make it sexy, have a little camisole or bodice underneath a corset, or just have your tits out, which is basically what I've done. I've had my tits out, I think, too much lately. And I just thought, no, I'm going to wear one of Bobby's white shirts, button that up, suit jacket, suit trousers, loafers, and go. And I, oh, I loved that look. The lesbian community really lit up my DMs. So that was appreciated. And I had a glass of champagne and I had some lovely dinner. I celebrated, you know, queer culture and I went home. And that was fantastic. Although when I took my jacket off, I realized that I was dressed identical to the waitstaff, which was fine. Like I have waitressing experience. If someone had mistaken me for the waitstaff, I could have absolutely executed like whatever waitstaff duty needed to be done. I can mix drinks. I did bartending. I can deliver loads of plates to the tables. I can clear a ton of plates at once. I had a boyfriend after Bobby dumped me, but before we reconnected, I had a boyfriend in high school whose family was like, I don't know. You know, okay, you know the film My Big Fat Greek Wedding uh, where the Greek family talks about the white family played by I don't remember his name, John, someone. He's Aiden in Sex and the City. I could Google his name for you, but I mean, I'm sure you'd know it and you're screaming it at the thing. Ugh, fine. Aiden, Sex and the City. Who is that actor? His name is 
John Corbett. There you go. Did we really need to take that few seconds to find out his last name is Corbett? Like, no disrespect to John Corbett, but when I said Aiden from Sex and City, everybody knew who I meant. He also plays the love interest in my big fat Greek wedding, and his family are these, like, boring white people. And the Greek family says they're like toast. They're like toast family. No flavor, no excitement. That's what this guy's family were like. Um, although he had a queer brother who was pretty cool at the time, though not out. So he and I had a lot of the same interests, musical theater, uh, stuff like that. Like he was a real kindred spirit to me, but he was kind of pulling away from his family and we couldn't really be our true selves. Neither of us could really be our true selves in that family, I don't think. Anyway, uh, we went to a dinner at his grandmother's house and they had shot a duck like themselves that we were going to eat. He had a great family, by the way. Like they were very athletic, really talented. I'm sure they amuse each other, but they didn't amuse me. And I hated that I felt like quite judged by them all the time uh, just because they were more straight laced. I mean, I was a weird teenager in their defense. I was very strange, more strange than I am now. But they shot this duck, which is fine. I mean, very Canadian to hunt your own dinner. And I remember the bullet was in my piece or a fragment of the, the bullet. And they were like, oh, that's lucky. That's good luck to get some of the bullet. I was like, okay. And then they would always shame me for, this is what I didn't like about them. My hair dries, like very silky smooth straight, just naturally. And we were at their cottage once. And I remember his sister was like, you snuck in. His sister's a lovely woman now, by the way, but she at the time was even younger than I was, so a teenager. She's like, you snuck in a hair dryer and a hair curling or a straightener or something. Like, you're not allowed to do your hair makeup here. And I was like, I mean, I didn't sneak anything in. My hair just dries straight. And then his grandma, I think, at this dinner said something to me about makeup or I should wear less makeup. Like, it was comments like that all the time. They didn't like the glamour puss that I was trying to be. Anyway, toast family, big toast vibes, toast energy. I was trying to ingratiate myself at this dinner. People had finished eating. I wasn't just going to sit there. So I got up and I started clearing loads of plates. And they all got so nervous. They were like, that is too many plates. And I was like, no, no, I waitress. I can carry all these plates. And they were like, put those down. Those are our best, like most prized family heirloom toast plates. And I didn't drop any, but just everything I did around that family, they made them nervous. But one of my special skills is carrying loads of plates. Had that been asked of me at the Attitude Awards, I could have pulled it off, but there was no need. And then I did a bunch of work, uh, some private things, some branded things, some really fun jobs. I'm getting ready to shoot a super fun series that has yet to be announced, but I can tell you, I start shooting it this week and it is with two comedy icons that I love and adore. They are women. It's a really diverse cast of uh, women with different stories and different lives. But what we have in common is that we are friends and we are funny. And I think it's groundbreaking. And it, it's not like signposted. We're not like, it's a women's show. We don't even go there. It just is. It just is. And on the weekend, I had some time off, which anyone with small children will know is not time off. It meant that I had to look after my own family without the reprieve of work. And we did lots of lovely Halloween things. Even though the children were kind of under the weather, it meant that we took them outside a lot. We got loads of fresh air. We went to a pumpkin patch. We got a lot of cute photos. Bobby and I went to go see NFL in London, actually, Sunday without the kids. We went a few hours without the kids. And that was in this beautiful open-air Tottenham Stadium. I do love American football. I feel like... 
it is more wholesome than English and European football, no offense, but like the hooliganism that I hear about and that Bobby himself has experienced is just not anything I'm interested in. Whereas if you do NFL games, if you participate in that culture, sure, there's drinking and tailgating and everything else, but mostly people want to bring their kids there and eat a hot dog and like talk about God and sing the national anthem. You know, it's just a very wholesome pursuit. And as a Taylor Swift fan, and as a fan of the Netflix show Quarterback, starring Brittany Mahomes and her husband, Patrick Mahomes, and their two beautiful children, I've really gotten into NFL football. I'm even, okay, and this is something that is weird for me, because I've even started doing little bets. I'm very careful about that whole scene. I have to believe that an organization is charitable and it's a game that people do have a chance of winning. They can play it in good faith. It's just a bit of fun before I will engage with it at all. And there are some some ways of gambling or playing the lottery or whatever that are just fun, really exciting, and that's a pastime that people like. But there's some of these apps and things that I just, I worry that people might get lost in them. You know, it's something like drinking that you have to do responsibly. So I will always say, you know, I love a glass of white wine or definitely I used to before the kids. Gin and tonic in the summertime, delicious like summer cocktails. I love that. But it's so important to me that I don't advertise any of that stuff in a way that would be not responsible. And I've never been like a gambler. I've done a few scratch cards in Canada. That was fun. I do see that the lottery's fun, but I've never placed bets on sports is basically what I'm saying. I've never understood enough about like horse racing or anything else. But to try to add a little bit of excitement into me watching NFL games, I have made a few small bets. And you know what? It is quite fun. It adds, because Bobby, like there's a reason why Bobby needs his team to win. He loves that team. There's no like monetary excitement for him. And so now that I like football for a few different reasons, and this is the fault of the Lionesses and Jill Scott really got me into sports this year. I really got excited about women's football and the World Cup and the Euro. And then I started watching this quarterback show on Netflix and I liked it. And now I've been to another NFL in London game. And I'm like, do you know what? It is fun, but I kind of need 10 pounds behind it as well as like an extra little boost that if my team wins and with the NFL, it happens overnight while I'm asleep too. I wake up. And I find out, oh my gosh, and I got a little treat as well. I won a little bit of money. So, you know, I was very judgmental, I think, about some of these gambling sites for sports. Sports betting, that's what it's called before. I was like, oh, I don't know. But now I see that, you know, you can do it and have a lot of fun. Always responsibly, though. Um, so in a weird way, we were playing like chess at this game. So Bobby, it was the Baltimore Ravens versus the Tennessee Titans. It was the Tennessee Titans home game, but in London. And I was the annoying wife, like asking loads of questions, like, does this game count for the like the whole game, the season happening? He's like, yes, it does. I was like, even though it's all the way in London and people might be jet lagged, he's like, yes, it does. How come only the Tennessee Titans have their cheerleaders? Okay, because it's a Tennessee Titans home game. I love cheerleaders, always have, always will. Okay, well, you like the P Pittsburgh Steelers, so who are we rooting for? And I like the Kansas City Chiefs because the Mahomes family plays for them, and that's the family that I started liking from watching Netflix Quarterback. Um, and he's like, okay, so we are rooting against, we're going against the Baltimore Ravens because they are an adversary of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And ultimately that's my team and that's who I like. And so by default, we are rooting for the Tennessee Titans. 
I mean, I really did not realize from the beginning that men were this clever. There's a lot of mental gymnastics that goes into loving and hating different NFL teams. And I feel like I might be a football fan now. I haven't talked to my sister Carrie in like honestly weeks and I don't really know what's going on. I'm going to call her and see if she wants to be on the podcast. Maybe she's mad at me. Probably not. She just owns business. What's going? Hello. Hi, what are you doing? I'm on my way to work. What are you doing? Nothing. I just realized I haven't spoken to you in like a month. Um, less than a month. All right. Probably last time I spoke to you was October 7th. We were on FaceTime and Fred was dancing. Weird memory. <laughs> Why do you know that? Because that's what happens. I don't remember what I did even this morning. Oh, I remember everything. That's cool. Maybe you have like some type of mental, you know, thing. Like illness, but not an illness. Do you know what I mean? Like you're probably very neurodivergent. Uh, I'm I'm aware. Um, I'm doing the podcast. Do you want to be on the podcast today? Sure. So I know that you said one of your friends is sick and you probably don't want to talk about that. Oh yeah. Well, we'll talk about that. Not on the podcast. I'm sorry about that. That's fine. Um, what else is going on? How's the business? How's mom? How's your husband? Uh, I haven't spoken to mom in a while, actually. Um, my husband's great. He's driving me to work right now. Uh, and the business is getting busier. Good. Yeah, that's why that's we don't... It. I don't really have anything new to say. <laughs> I just work all the time. I know. Have you had any days off? I technically get Sundays and Mondays off, but um, the other locations open, so I either pop in or I have to take a call and... I mean, technically speaking, if my business partner like calls me because we need to do something, it doesn't really matter that the clinic's closed. I still have to work. Yeah. Well, that sucks. Well, it sounds like you're just the busy one. If you haven't talked to me and you haven't talked to mom, then. Well, you're busy too, and I did talk to you on October 7th. I know. That was like 11 days ago. Well, I called you on Saturday because I, I saw that you were up with Venna. Oh, yes. And I was like, oh, great. She's awake and I'm awake. And obviously, it was too early for a phone call for it's, you. It, no, I was probably putting her back to bed. It's just so tough to be on the phone with them because they flip out. And Fenna's on the move. I know. That's great. She can walk on her own. She doesn't realize that she can. She wants to hold your hand. But actually, I was at the park with both of them yesterday. And Fred was holding me just because, like, well, I don't know, there was some other kid was trying to look at him or talk to him. So he was holding on to my trousers. And then Fena was in the sandbox and she had stood up and she was reaching over the sandbox with her head being like half of her body. I thought she was going to topple out onto her head. So I ran over to catch Fena, but Fred wouldn't let go of my legs. So he just went flying and fell. It was a mess. <laughs> well, that's why kids are so short to be so close to the ground. Because yeah. They fall a lot. I know. It really lowers the impact. I just How was bad. the Glamour Awards? It was really fun, but I mean, it went on quite late, and I'm not I'm not fun. But I got to talk to Lena Dunham, and we're best friends now. Oh, nice. Did you ever watch Girls on HBO? No. Oh, my God. So I know you don't have time now, but I feel like it's something you would like. Yeah, probably. I mean, I just started watching Grey's Anatomy. Ugh. Try watching Girls. Is Grey's Anatomy right. even funny? Yeah, it kind of is. I've never seen it's it in my more life. It's not a drama or anything, but it's funny. I, I mean, you know what? You would like it because you like surgeries and stuff like that, but it's not the type of surgeries you're into, and it's not real surgeries. 
fine. Not interested. I've never seen a single episode of Grey's Anatomy. And all my friends used to Neither be like, Grey's, Grey's. McSteamy. Like, people used to tell Bobby he looked like someone called McSteamy. I don't even know who that is. But McDreamy? I know that. I don't know. McSteamy. I thought it was McDreamy. <laughs> maybe. Not, I, maybe I haven't gotten to the McSteamy episode because I'm only on like season one episode three yeah maybe he started as mcdreamy graduated to mcsteamy and now he's just like old because bk does not look like him doesn't he our grand opening party is on tuesday what happens then i mean nothing we have just like it's small it's not like we can invite everyone because it's such a small space yeah um but it's just like canapes champagne watch these treatments stuff like that oh you're having actual treatments to watch speaker (laughs) no (laughs) i can't come to canada do you want me to video you in to be a guest speaker sure i'll be a video chat guest speaker midnight your time jesus no uh you're so you're having like actual live treatments at the launch yeah but like we've already like booked them it's just so people can like see it damn who have you invited? Just good regular clientele? Just regular, yeah, good regular clientele from the new location. You should get some celebs down. I don't have any celebs. Like You're some busy. like some uh, people from Real Housewives of Toronto. It's okay. I'm not paying anyone to come. No, you don't pay them. Just like invite them and then they you pay them in like champagne and maybe they'll pop by. Eh, it's fine. Someone from like this hour has 22 minutes. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay without any of those people showing up. <laughs> All right. Are you going to do, like, live Botox? Um, more, more like hydrofacial and forma stuff that has little snow downtime so they can see it and people aren't hurt. Uh, but we are giving away a year worth of Botox. So, like, two up Botox? Up 300 units. Oh. No, most people get Botox every three months. Do they? Yeah, it lasts in, in you and I for six months, and I have no idea why it shouldn't. I feel like... I do my Botox twice a year, but scientifically, it's mm. every three months. But I thought if you do it too often, then the, all the muscles in your forehead atrophy, and then that's when your skin on your forehead looks really, really thin, and you can see veins. No, I mean, your muscles, you do it on purpose to shrink the muscle. You have to be doing it for so long, and it's so seldom and rare that you actually get atrophy. But the reason your skin looks thin is because your skin cell turnover rate slows down and your collagen elasticity slows down as you age. That's going to happen to people that aren't doing collagen induction treatments anyway. No, no, no. But you know when some people have been wheelchair users for a really long time and they have... uh, they're paraplegic paralysis, or and yeah, yeah. And I understand that, and it is a paralysis. But what I'm saying, yeah, is but they get really, Botox, but they get really small legs. Yeah, but you are trying to shrink your muscle. But Botox takes two weeks to kick in, and then in four weeks you start to get some movement back. In three months, it's fully gone. So the probability and the percentage of people that actually have atrophy about that is so low, like and in the decimals of percentages. Are they getting Botox like every month? Well, uh, no injector would do that. What? There are injectors who will do anything. They, well, no good injector would do that. Yeah. Or maybe they like injection hop. You know, they like go to different places. Like that could, That's a very real thing. Girls used to do that with fake tanning, like with tanning beds. They would go do 20 minutes at like whatever the place is called. What was the one in Sarnia called? 
California sun. Yeah. Yes. Why do you remember so many things? I, I could be lying about that. I just sounded super confident about it. And then I you actually didn't. I said oh, okay. it with a question mark. Oh, okay. <laughs> And then you like go to another place and do 20 minutes and you go to another place and do 20 minutes because no place will let you do. Yeah. I didn't know people did that. If any of my friends were doing that in high school, they were doing it behind my back. Well, listen, it was the nineties. It was the wild, wild west of fake tanning. Even as a child, I was like, fake tanning. Like, I know. I know. I'm actually working on maybe launching a product about being pale but you kind of have to be sensitive about it because it sounds like a real, like, racist product on the surface. But, okay. huh? What's the product? Pitch what? it to me. Let, let, me let me hear it. Well, I can't tell you because I'm just working on it. I had a meeting about it this morning, so I'm not really allowed to talk about it. And we're on the podcast. Don't forget. But it's not. It's nothing, like, super groundbreaking. It's just, like, a beauty thing that I can't find. It's not about skin lightening or anything else. I basically just, you know, I just need... I don't want to fake tan. I don't want to spray tan. I don't want to be tanned. I just want to like embrace this is the color that I am. And I just need a red carpet way of doing that easily that is like a fake tan that lasts and doesn't rub off or anything. I've basically told you what the product oh, is. Oh, kind of like an, I, I understand. What you're yeah. Talking about. Kind of like a neutral, like a foundation airbrush for your body. Exactly. Your color. But it's also like a little bit shimmery, but just that's like my color. It's like stop trying to be orange stop trying to be like 2007 Lindsay Lohan you're not I love being orange do you know how skinny I feel when I'm orange I don't know what it is same because tanned fat looks better than pale fat but <gasps> I'm gonna try to find a way to give you that feeling without being orange and I feel like There's I need totally a way to do that I need to call it like Quran or something you know like just really <laughs> lean into being like an over 40s white lady but I'm so <laughs> bruised yeah like my entire body is bruised well, I mean, you're going to have to put correcting foundation on that. I know. Um, you can ask, uh, what's her name? Damn it. What's, see, this is the thing. I remember dates. I don't remember anyone's name. You can ask, uh, what's Johnny Depp's ex-wife's name? Who? Johnny Depp's ex-wife. What's her name? Amber Heard? Yeah, yeah. You can ask her about how to cover up the bruises. Jeez. What was she covering up? Bruises? <laughs> Well, yeah, there was a whole thing in that you didn't hear about it. No, a whole I... thing in the court case where she was like, "I used this exact color correcting palette oh. to cover up my black eyes and my bruises," and then the, the the lawyer came back being like, "By the way, that color correcting palette didn't exist, so no, you didn't use that exact one." She's like, "I mean, one like it." Oh wow! No, I couldn't yeah. follow that case. It was like too spicy for me. It was great on TikTok. Uh-uh. Well, I'm not on TikTok. I am a little bit. I need to be better at it, you know, better at all these things. Anyway. I need to be better at posting social media, but I'm not. Anyway. I need I to uh, look at my emails, which are going to be bad this week because I mentioned the terrible conflicts going on in the Middle East last week. And I know that you just can't say anything without pissing people right off. And also, my answer is not like a complete answer. So people are going to be like, but what about this? And uh, Joanne's already given me a heads up that people are pretty pissed off. But also people are like, thanks, but also people are pissed off. It's like the classic story. Well, people are getting hurt on both sides, and that's all. People are getting hurt. It's really bad, and I feel like it's going to get worse before it gets better, and it's heartbreaking. And after the hospital bombing yesterday, they're blaming each other for it. Uh Uh-huh. This is the trouble. Like, there's no way to trust, like, that you're getting the real news from anyone because there's so much noise 
mm-hmm. and everyone's so quick to like release a statement and release something as though it's a fact and then but then yeah i mean listen it's a mess it's a mess. It's really sad. It makes me sad to think about. I know. I am pulling up to the clinic right now. I'll call you later. Well, have a great safe day. I will. You too. Love All right. you. Love you. Bye. Let's now listen to these words from our sponsors. And when we return, I will see how uh, cross you got with me last week. I will see if any listeners had any reactions um, to any subject discussed last week. And I'm always looking out for help for your listener emails when I can't fully answer them myself and we come together as a community and hopefully there's loads of that advice as well. If you ever want to write me a letter, it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. We'll be right back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, there was a listener last week who wrote in about her sexually active 16-year-old giving blowjobs. And it was all just very real for me. Um, I know what I was getting up to at 16. It is the age of consent in the UK, though I think that is personally like disgusting as a mother, um, anyone who knows a 16-year-old child, you can quite clearly see that that is a child. And I know that I do have teenage listeners as well. And you're thinking like, fuck you, I'm not a child. Like you're the one who shouldn't be having sex because you're old and your ass has melted away and nobody wants to see that. And you should be like reading a book and resting. Listen, don't worry, I don't have time to read or have sex. But uh, there are loads of complexities your body, your feelings, uh, STIs, like loads of things. And um, I remember being in a hurry to lose my virginity like it was something to be ashamed of. I wanted to fit in. Uh, I've told this story before. My very good friend Tiff Stevenson, a very talented comedian, she has stand-up about having girlfriends who were saying she was the odd one out for being a virgin. So she had sex, and then all of a sudden her girlfriends had lied about having sex themselves, and they called her a slag. There's loads of peer pressure around it. Now we're navigating a society where happily people are speaking out about consent. But I think what's also happening is sometimes a young woman might be like, oh, I don't know if I really wanted to do that. And then, you know, everyone's vulnerable to, you know, I just wouldn't have sex if I was a teen right now. I just wouldn't. I just fucking wouldn't. There's just too much going on. And um, it's really tough for moms 
to see you grow up in the first place, but then to know that you're having sex is like a whole other layer of like, ugh. All right, so trigger warning, there is talk of a medical termination in this next letter, i.e. abortion. So this is in response to the teen giving blowjobs. Catherine, I was so affected by this listener who feels awkward about their 16-year-old giving boys blowjobs. My similarly aged teenager was recently ill for a few weeks and we couldn't figure out why. Finally, I asked her if she'd missed any periods recently as I know that they're sexually active, which yes, was an awkward conversation. And she said they hadn't in over a month. Cue the panic from me. I panic ordered her a pregnancy test and it was positive. I had to hold her hand while she went for a termination. She was not bothered at all about it, but it has bothered me for weeks in a number of ways. I feel like I failed to protect them, failed to empathize the, emphasize the importance of being careful, as well as her being in a difficult situation where she's having an abortion when she's basically still a child herself. Her dad doesn't know, as she's asked me not to tell him. It was really hard on her physically, and I just wanted to wrap her up and protect her, but I know I can't. I'm not sure if I need therapy, but this is forever on my mind now, worrying where she is and what she's doing. She has contraceptive pills and condoms, but I'm worried she's not being responsible and she doesn't live with me. Her partner is a whole other thing, and I've had to stop my husband from having a stern word with them. It's really tough when they grow up, and these things happen. My God. I felt terrified reading that, and I can only imagine the a wave of emotions that you are having. You're having to let go of your baby, but equally you feel like their child like would have been your grandchild. And even though a teenager doesn't always have the mental dexterity, like, and no offense to teenagers, I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm not at all. It's like a scientific neurological thing where as smart as you are, your brain is going through all these changes and you're about to be smarter. So it's not a criticism of you. It's just like things are being like shot. Like all these wires are crossed in your brain and you're having all these neurological new pathways made, laying the groundwork and the framework for how clever a young woman you are about to become. But during that building phase, there's loads of scaffolding in there, you know, and loads of noise. And so maybe you're worried that your daughter is going to have a delayed reaction to this experience. And you're worried that she's not having a reaction. Like, is she some, like, cold psycho? You know, but, like, I was the same when I was a teenager. I'd, I had surgery for cancer when I was really young. And I was like, well, I don't care. Like, it just didn't bother me. And then looking back, I thought, ooh, that must have been really hard on my parents. Like, everything that you do when you're a child, you kind of, we can be comforted, I guess, with, like, it mostly rolls off their back for now. Yeah, so you're feeling all these feelings of responsibility and grief and a total lack of control. Did I do this right? Did I do that right? Am I protecting her? And like the reality is, if you look back on your own life and the struggles that you went through, those were very formative for you, I'm sure. And they weren't always comfortable at the time, but they made you who you are. And if you protect them from everything forever, then they're not going to have those real character building experiences and they're not going to learn to navigate the tough things in life and she's going to be an adult who's presumably going to have to navigate a lot of tough things and you know that's going to be difficult for you to accept just like it's going to be really difficult for me to accept with my kids for all of us to accept so I'm so sorry that you went through this but thank you for 
reaching out. I think there are a lot of us navigating the teenage years and it's really helpful and you are not alone and all of us are going to feel like we fucked up somewhere along the line and it's like you did what you could and now it's not up to you. And I made so many mistakes that my parents, you know, my upbringing should have prevented, but it didn't. I made those mistakes and I love my life. I love my childhood. I don't blame my parents for anything. So hopefully all of our kids are the same. Here's another. Speaking of teens, how do we deal with scantily clad Halloween? Catherine, I'm dying for your perspective on this as a mother to a 14-year-old daughter. I struggle allowing my 14-year-old daughter to wear the ultra-revealing clothing, super low-cut crop tops, etc., and quote-unquote slutty Halloween costumes that her friends seem to be allowed to wear. My daughter does wear what I consider to be appropriate, cute clothing, which includes crop tops, short cutoffs, etc. And I've certainly pushed my previous boundaries in favor of compromise, but I draw the line at corsets and other lingerie-style tops and dresses that others seem to be allowed to wear. I can't even pretend to consider allowing the, quote, slutty police officer or similar Halloween costume. Girls will argue empowerment, which I can't totally disagree with, but I'm also aware that they're smart enough to know that our generation of moms is very much anti-shaming, pro-feminist, socially progressive, and they use that to their advantage. Are they right to do so? Should I bury my antiquated instincts and allow all manner of clothing without comment in the spirit of female empowerment? Or is there a line somewhere? And if so, where? Does safety have a place in this conversation in 2023? So empowerment and body positivity, I feel is age appropriate. Do you know what I mean? Like if my teenager was struggling with lack of energy, brain fog, maybe feeling really overweight. I feel like they're still a child, so their body is a little bit under my jurisdiction. And I would say, well, I know teenagers love sugar and McDonald's, but we can't allow you to have that all the time. And you can't have this like triple cream coffee latte smoothie for breakfast every morning. And you can't do this and you can't do that because it's going to affect how you feel about yourself. It's going to affect how much energy you have. It's going to affect your mood and your performance at school. You're going to be a dick to everyone in the house. So I would say, yes, all for female empowerment, body positivity, sex positivity, everything else, age appropriate. And 14 in a corset is not age appropriate. Bobby and I do have conversations about the outfits that Violet wears. And when she had a party uh, last weekend, it was a Halloween. Not last weekend. God, I didn't allow another party. The weekend before, uh, as a little bit mentioned in my last podcast, uh, a lot of the girls came as exactly that. Yes, slutty police officers and this and that versions of like the Mean Girls movie starring Lindsay Lohan. Like, I'm a mouse and it's lingerie and ears, cat ears or whatever. And I know what it's like because I wanted to be sexy at that age. But it's all about time and place. Like, I mean, I guess if she's getting together with her girlfriends and she wants to wear something like that, that that's quite different. It's almost like a costume. But if she wants to go out walking around in the streets and trick-or-treating or dressing like that all the time, I'd be like, no, this isn't empowerment at 14. What it is is object like child sexual objectification at 14 and I understand why you want to do this because your role models dress this way and pop stars dress this way but they're not 14 and it's not age appropriate you're sexualizing a child's body your body and that's not okay 
when you're 16, I'm not going to love it, but you're going to be 16, so fine. And that's how I would approach that. But maybe I'm wrong. You know, we let Violet wear things, but she's pretty good at pulling it back. You know, sometimes we'll be like, uh, cardigan over that. The shorts, shorts and the crop tops and the, you know, yeah, there's a there's a compromise, I think, that can be made. Whatever you're comfortable with in your own home. Okay, I got so many emails about the Israeli-Palestinian conversations. And I think that what I said last week, last week was even a different time from this week. Last week, there were news reports about the most gruesome atrocities um, happening to children. And I, I think that my main reaction last week was that like this is just a time to acknowledge those atrocities and offer support and healing and not to jump in with yeah but yeah but and certainly not to conflate a group of people with its government if you're listening and you're american you wouldn't want to be roped in to you know the thoughts and viewpoints of your government certainly not while trump was in power and probably not now and probably not ever because I think loads of governments have been responsible for acts of terrorism, war crimes, and you would protest that. You would march against it. You would call for a ceasefire. You would not ever be in favor of harming innocents. So at that time last week, I was saying, you know, like, not all Jewish people are representative of the Israeli government. Equally, Palestinians are not all in favor of what their government is doing. So I think it's important to separate those conversations. Now this week, yeah, there are really useful conversations now that, I mean, I don't mean literally some of the dust has settled, though often it never settles. There's still been more bombings just yesterday. And my sister and I just touched on it a minute ago, like the, now we're arguing about, oh, the Israeli government purposely bombed a hospital. Oh no, actually Hamas accidentally shot a rocket into their own uh, people's Gaza hospital like we we just it's so difficult to get clarity and I think that's almost by design it'll keep everybody distracted and everybody arguing and everybody fighting so there were some thank yous from the Jewish community for acknowledging their grief and their pain during these attacks and there were also some people advocating for the Palestinian community against the open air imprisonment and genocide of that community and saying like, why aren't you saying more about that? I just feel like all the conversations this week have been more nuanced and have been very useful. So uh, Joanne has written, it was a 50-50 debate when it came to last week's podcast. Isn't that funny? It's always 50-50. And that's the part to me that feels very explicit. Many wrote in, thanking you for your empathy Um, But conversely, many wrote in either irate or just to neutrally remind you of how long the Palestinians have been suffering and the significant gap between death counts since 2008 alone. Joanne has selected some of your emails for this, some uh, excerpts from your emails. There are reports that X many Israeli children are killed, which is horrific. And then, quote, strikes on Gaza, as if that doesn't mean Palestinian children are being killed by those strikes. The strikes do not target Hamas, and the withdrawal of water and power to Gaza is not just against international law, but results in the deaths of babies, grandmothers, people who have no relation to nor whom support Hamas. They are also victims. One million children live in Gaza who are now starving to death. And trust me, that horrifies me. And I've known about that going on 
I don't know how many years, for at least a number of years, I feel very powerless about like what to do or how to lend my voice to stop something like that. I mean, like I said last week, obviously, I think that genocide of anyone, I think that all of our children are created equal. All people are equal and deserve equal rights and respect and opportunity and the right to safety and the right to like hold their babies close and feel just safe. I know what matters in life and what doesn't. And that is the only thing that really matters in life. And um, I did not mean to say that Israeli children should be valued uh, higher than Palestinian children in Gaza. And I know that the way news is reported, I agree that sometimes it's like, the Israeli government's defending itself. And then Hamas is doing this and doing that. And it's this is why I mean the governments should never be conflated with the innocent people. After World War II, Israel was established, but there was no self-determination for the people who lived there. Instead, people who had never lived there and whose ancestors left 1,800 years before were just allowed to take over. This is from an email. Hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were displaced and the world just wrung its hands. Over the years, Israel has seized more and more of the Palestinian land. It has been condemned at the UN repeatedly. That's from one of the emails. But again, like I think that Jewish people were displaced again and again. And yes, Palestinian people have now been displaced. And that is, I think, where people go, oh, fuck. Like, loads of people are displaced all the time all over the world. And what do we do about that? And that's why climate change is also an important conversation because there will become, at one point, theoretically, less and less livable land. And then there are going to be more wars over who lives where. And a comedian is not the person to take on that conversation. But, like, believe me when I tell you, I think it's horrible. Another email, don't fall into the either you stand with Israel or you stand with terrorism binary that the propaganda machine is trying to fit us all into. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not falling into that. But I do think that any any um, attack that involves the killing of civilians is an act of terrorism in, in my eyes and should be condemned. And like, what do you say? I've heard so many people just talk absolute bullshit about this whole situation, saying things like, you know, the children should be safe. Yeah, yeah. I think we can all agree on that. But it's the why and the how and the who and the, like, how? How? Not just with this terrible war, but with all the wars that are, like, constantly happening. So many people all around the world don't have basic safety that we have. And I don't. I don't think I'm the person equipped to stop that. I don't know how to stop that. I don't know how it's going to stop. So it's just very sad. And I just think don't fall into, I think my takeaway advice would be not to fight about it on social media with people who are either like repeating a rhetoric that they've heard or they, they're confused because the propaganda machine is very strong. And instead to speak to people like very, respectfully as people speak to me and go well let me tell you about that and read more here and do this and I mean I think that's all that we can do and also just hold our own babies close and um if there's anything that you can do to reach out to the humanitarian I can't even say the word humanitarian efforts going on uh sadly I I mean I think we can all see that the um the tragedy is not over yet so I'm going to look into humanitarian efforts on the ground and see if I can share some of that on the podcast next week. New emails from this week. Oh, God, a sharp U-turn. Banging in the blue whale. This is a response from a former employee of the Natural History Museum. Last week, it was brought to my attention 
that the hanging blue whale um, has a compartment where people are fucking in. So let's hear from the former employee. Catherine and I worked at the museum for a few years when I was younger. I have never heard of the whale trap door, the whale experience, nor have I ever heard of whaling from the whale. It was the most boring job I have ever done, showing rich moms around the shops while their kids run chaos. If people were banging in the whale, or if I had an opportunity to bang in the whale, I would have stayed for longer. Maybe I just got never invited. I would have rather banged on the faux taxidermy dodo, by the way. Love your podcast. Okay. So the rumors of banging in the whale have not been substantiated this week. Please write me a letter if you have ever worked at the Natural History Museum and you know about this urban legend of people fucking in the whale trap door. Telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Catherine, on the subject of handsome actors playing ugly abusers. This week, The Reckoning came out all about Jimmy Savile. I was so frustrated that he was played by a handsome actor. What? What? Are you talking about? Alan Partridge, Steve, hang on, The Reckoning, because I know he's playing, oh, no, what? It's a manish, The Reckoning, yeah, Steve Coogan. You think that Steve Coogan is very handsome? I mean, look, I guess Steve Coogan is handsome. I guess I never thought of it. Steve Coogan, I need to go look at some pics of Steve Coogan right now. I mean, I don't mean to diminish the point that you're trying to make. It's a really important point. I think I'm just not really attracted to comedians. Steve Coogan. All right, if you haven't yet, just Google Steve Coogan. Yeah, he's pretty handsome. Okay, I see what you're saying. He is certainly better looking than Jimmy Savile. Aha, yeah, certainly, certainly. All right, so I see your point. I know they made him look scary, but the real Jimmy was so much uglier. It reminded me of something you said about Zac Efron playing Ted Bundy. Not cool. I just wanted to get it off my chest. Why do they gloss over what absolute monsters these men were? And you're right. I suppose they did it with Charlize Theron when she played the Eileen, the, the woman who killed men in that movie Monster, the Academy Award winning movie Monster. Charlize Theron is better looking. I think that Hollywood and films and even British TV dramas just sanitize everything. I think that all actors, whether they're playing a murderer or a serial abuser or anyone, I think all actors are usually better looking than the real person. And the, t the Ted Bundy thing was off the charts. I mean, they just kept talking and talking about how handsome Ted Bundy was. He wasn't. He just was a sociopath and he was really charming. And so then they get Zac Efron, an absolute hunk, to play him. Um, yeah, I have not seen The Reckoning, this uh, drama that I, I didn't even know it was out. I saw that it was being made and that it would star Steve Coogan. I'm not sure if it's something that I would want to watch. I don't know why we, we relive these horrible events anyway. As you know, uh, about a year ago, I stopped watching murder documentaries and murder dramas on Netflix because I just was like, no, it's too much. It feeds into this like ugly fear that I have and possibly a toxic narrative about men and I just I have to turn away from it all that I can stomach is comedies if you've seen it let me know what you think and and yeah I guess if someone were to play me in a movie they're not going to choose someone like less good looking than I am like they're going to heighten it they're going to be like and now playing Catherine Ryan is like the beautiful who who would it be like Dakota Fanning like just some young actress <laughs> some like child actress who's like stunning um, and she'd be playing like 
me when I'm 60 because that's how Hollywood works. Though it's getting a little bit better. Catherine, I'm being bullied by my supervisor. When I first started the job, I was so excited. This is my dream career. I felt so proud of myself. However, within a few weeks, I noticed something wasn't right. My supervisor would constantly criticize and patronize me, over explaining things like I'm stupid and yelling at me if I didn't reach my target. She would do everything she could to make me feel small and try to embarrass me in front of my new colleagues. I also found out more recently she made a Teams chat with some other colleagues that was just to bitch about me. Then, a few months in, she announced she was having a baby and going on maternity leave. I was so relieved, and Catherine, let me tell you, it was the most blissful time. My whole team got along so well. We'd have a laugh all day, and it was a joy coming to work. My work productivity improved. I was thriving. I even bagged myself a promotion. I felt on top of the world. Then she came back from maternity. I was dreading it, but I thought, well, maybe she'll change soften after having a baby but no she's back to her old ways doing all the same shit but even worse i can feel her chipping away at my self-esteem again she's completely power crazy and it's obvious she speaks to me differently to the point where the others on my team have now started to notice too i considered speaking to my manager higher up but there's the worry she'll tell my supervisor what i've said and she'll come down on me even harder what would you do in my position Catherine? i would love to hear your advice i would absolutely the whole time i'm reading this letter I am thinking, escalate, escalate, take it to the manager higher up. You now have witnesses. You know about the team's chat slagging you off, and you have numbers, you have productivity, where your team was all happier and they were getting along, and your numbers were up during this woman's maternity leave. So I think I understand that you're worried if you try to get uh, a tribe together to go to management that someone might squeal, tell your supervisor, though it seems like who is going to be a snake like that and show loyalty to her when you guys had such a nice time as a team with her gone. And then you're worried that if you go to the manager, she'll tell the supervisor. But I mean, I just don't see that happening. If you hit this nail on the head, if you come strong, and I don't mean, you know, simpering into your manager's office being like, I don't like that lady. She's mean to me sometimes. No, you need to treat this like a court case. You need to gather your witnesses, get your receipts, make sure as many people that you feel you can trust on your team are together with you on this. You need to write down as many dates and things and evidence as you can. And then without emotion, you need to go to your manager and present a very detailed and thoughtful argument as to why this woman needs to find employment elsewhere. It doesn't seem like she's going to get better. Uh, I mean, maybe there's a chance for redemption, but you just need to go, I don't want to be, and that's the other thing. I hope your manager is also a woman because if it's a man, there is the risk. Or I mean, even if it's a woman, I guess there's a risk of misogyny where you go in there and they go, oh, the girls are being catty. The girls can't get along. But this is why you need to be very clear and emotionless with your report and just go in and go, look, I hate that this has come up, but I felt, uh, not try not to use words like I felt. Just be like, so-and-so treated me disrespectfully in the office. Use language, like HR language, and be like, I was this, this, minimized, blah, 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 blah. The Teams chat was made about me. That's very material evidence, by the way. Then during the maternity leave, the team's numbers went up. Like use math, not girl math, math, boy math. 
to come at this problem and just be like, and I was very positive that the team could thrive upon this person's return. However, since the return X, Y, Z has happened, it's not acceptable in a work environment. It's not a positive work environment. We can't tolerate this any longer. Just try to take as much emotion out of it as you can. Be thorough, be clear, be concise, get witnesses if you can, and good luck. Please let us know how that turns out. (gasps) You got to go to the manager. There's just no other way. It's about how you go to the manager. Um, If you work in HR, you have some different advice. I mean, maybe hold on a week and see if other listeners will have better advice than I have, but my gut instinct is usually right on this shit. Good luck to you. You deserve to work somewhere and thrive where you feel valued and you feel happy and you feel like you can perform to the best of your abilities. Congratulations on your promotion. May there be many more. Write into the podcast if you have any advice for anything that you've heard today, any comments, any concerns, any dilemmas of your own. It's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Please share this podcast on social medias. Tell your friends about it if you want to. I would love to keep doing this podcast as long as I'm alive. So I really appreciate you listening. Please look after yourself and I'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com